trade deadline. Explanations on the deals. Simone Fontecchio, Kelly Olynyk, Ochai Abaji, three rotation players gone. What is going on in Utah? Plus, Brian Russell talks 90s jazz. The shot. You'll want to hear him talk about some of the workouts they did before the 98 season. B-Russ does not disappoint. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. Trade deadline. Brings up the old windy mean. Old Windhorst. Get your fingers out. What is going on in Utah? Two deals ahead of the deadline. First up, one with Detroit. They get Simone Fontecchio, a second-round pick, and Kevin Knox comes back. The second-rounder going to be pretty favorable because it's probably going to be the Washington second-rounder, which is around 32, essentially a late first-round pick. And then Toronto, the other deal, Kelly Olenek and Ochai Abaji out for Kyra Lewis Jr. and Otto Porter Jr., plus a late first-round pick in that 28 range. So two assets in the same area. Why'd they do it? What's the motivation to it? Why, why does it make sense for the Jazz front office to do these deals? And I mentioned it, I'm pretty sure, on this podcast earlier about one move not vaulting the Jazz to the top of the standings. The thing about the West, think about it. Every team got better last offseason. And every single team has talent in the West. You're not catching the top four. That's entrenched for right now. Clippers, Wolves, Thunder, Nuggets. Win now trades in the short term do not benefit the Jazz. That's not part of the plan. It's always building a contender that can sustain. And frankly, it's pretty miraculous where the Jazz are right now. 26 and 27. You looked at the beginning of the season. Did you have them at this record? An offense that's top 15 since December 22nd, it's top 10. Will is so good at designing schemes getting them to move off the ball, utilizing every portion of the pieces to a coherent offense. And that's so different from where it was at the beginning of the season. And still, that's 500. Look on ESPN.com, their standings profile. Utah's a negative point differential team. And as we speak, they're ahead of Golden State and Houston, who have positive numbers. According to Cleaning the Glass, you want to go nerdy stats, Jazz expected win total, 34, is better than just San Antonio, Portland, and Memphis in the Western Conference. You would have to salt burn a lot of teams to make them contenders. If they make the play-in, that's huge. 
that would be an amazing accomplishment for Will, for the players, but they're not going to aggressively pursue the sixth seed. A trade for an impact player probably gets them there. Look at the teams. The top eight is Minnesota, Denver, OKC, Clips, Phoenix, New Orleans, Sacramento, and Dallas. All those teams probably have more talent. You don't shake those. Was there a move that breaks through? I didn't see it. This was an aggressively boring trade deadline. The best deals were done before the deadline, before this week. Harden to L.A., OG Ananobi to New York. Boyan was freed. I suppose that happened at the trade deadline. And shout out Boyan. He deserves this opportunity and will flourish as New York deals with injuries, but Boyan's going to get a chance to play. He adds depth. The Jazz know what he provides in the playoffs, so you know. You've watched it. And New York's going to be in big playoff games. So shout out, Boyan's freed. Siakam in Indiana, though, was the other big trade, and that was before the deadline as well. Otherwise, this year was pretty tame. It was a lot of looking around and seeing teams that will keep their guys. Murray didn't get moved. Trey Young, still there. Kyle Kuzma stays in Washington. And that's the point. Those are the best players available at the deadline, Nobody's really jumping up the standings. Utah made deals that landed more stuff, more picks, more reclamation projects. And I hated the argument, and there was chatter like a while ago about Lowry marketing being open for trades. Are the Jazz not allowed to have any good players? Are they supposed to just dump everybody and leave this team to be completely barren? How does that make sense? What about that is okay. What they did allows them to have the picks as the prize. Picks are the currency of hope. If you learned anything about Danny Ainge, Justin Zanuck, and this front office in the rebuilding process, they're going to be involved in drafts. Even when the rundown on this one isn't great, they're going to be involved. Remember the 2022 draft? Tim McMahon had Danny Ainge on the record talking about how bored he was not being able to be involved in the draft. He wants to be in this. He believes in the talent evaluators that he has around them. Sean James is hitting the road seeing all sorts of college prospects. Luca Desta is evaluating the international angle on things. Marquise Newman, they've got guys out there on the road who he trusts, who he believes in, Bart Taylor. They want action. They want to bet on the guys that they've evaluated. And speaking of, there's one guy who's going to get a chance because of the trades. It's Taylor Hendricks. He's going to have a much bigger role. You even saw it last night against Phoenix. He gets the block on Durant and shows that crazy athleticism that only those type of dudes have. Those big-bodied, huge frames, long arms, big wingspans, 
that's a play not many players can make. And then on the other end, he gets crossed up by Durant. And that's good. Taylor Hendricks needs to fail. He's gotten points in the G League. He has seen little development in getting that scheme up to him with Steve Wojciechowski. But now it's time to see it with the Jazz. And as he fails, as he gets those moments where it doesn't look good, he's going to get better from it. He needs to get those reps because that's the nature of it. He needs to go out there and fail. Keontae George, he's going to be taking more of the reins of the offense and of the team because they need his voice. They need his know-how. It's a showcase for their picks. I'm sure Bryce Sensabaugh will also get an opportunity. As far as the guys they traded out, Kelly Olenek, Simone Fantecchio, Ochai Abaji, Simone's going to get paid this offseason. It was not going to be here where he was getting paid. But as you saw what he became and as you saw how he played himself into a rotation, he's been a pro. He finally got the opportunity to show what he had overseas. He's Alvi from White Lotus. And let me tell you, there was nothing crazier than seeing him get the game-winning dunk against the Golden State Warriors. He'll always have that as a jazz man. Kelly Olenek had the ugliest game winner against the New Orleans Pelicans that season as well. I'm shocked he didn't garner more than first round interest but that tells you what the market was that tells you how many teams thought they were in it and weren't willing to part with their first round picks Kelly Olenek is all ball fakes pass fakes spacing he was the guy who played alongside Walker Kessler and helped him out he leveled that second unit yo they're going to have to figure out the spacing between Walker Kessler and John Collins Those two started next to each other against Phoenix, at least in the small sample size theater. 50 possessions. It's a minus 18. At least that grouping that they had, the starting lineup. I'm talking Chris Dunn, Colin Sexton, Larry Markkinen, John Collins, Walker Kessler. That's a minus 18 in 50 possessions, according to Clean the Glass. And it didn't work early in the season, but we'll already has figured out how to space with Walker Kessler in that second unit. He puts him in the corner, has him do blind handoffs with Jordan Clarkson and create space. It just happens. Wolhardy's that good. And Ochai. Ochai Baji, his best moment came on the podcast. Not really. But he was a great podcast guest. And I believe in that dude. He hadn't shot the ball well this year but his athleticism stands out. Chase down blocks. You could see the sketch of a rotation player. He'll need to put in more work to get better, but he certainly showed himself to be someone who can make it in the league. And Toronto offers more playing time on another developing team and a fresh start. Those guys will be missed. And that's the trade deadline. Next in the feed will be Justin Zanuck. After the physicals, he'll be on the feed. So check it out. 
Five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Brian Russell, Jazz didn't trade for him, but as a second-round pick who did pretty well for himself, he has a pretty cool story. He was in town. I caught up with him. We're talking 90s jazz, the shot, all things with one of the best personalities in jazz history. So enjoy it. It's Brian Russell on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. What is the feeling coming back here, knowing all the history that you have, being drafted in the second round? The thing that people probably miss about your story is that you're a second rounder from Long Beach State, coached by somebody who's in the college ranks, still talking about college basketball now, Seth Greenberg. You took a road less traveled. Like This is is quite the story that you were able to make a a pro career out of this. It's a story to tell. I can always just say people would have been like, who would have thought? Who would have ever thought Brian Russell would have made it? But hard work, hard work. In a game where you could only carry 12 mm-hmm. and I made it, Yep. they actually cut somebody for me. I must have raised my eyebrows. What was it about your game coming out of Long Beach State that you think the Jazz valued? Well, my thing was when I was coming into the NBA, in my mind, what I said to myself was, come in in the position and do what that person's not doing. And it seemed to be defense. <laughs> but it was right up my ballpark. Defense is what I did my high school and college career. And so many that I came to a coach who was a defensive-minded coach, it just fit right in. I fit right into the situation. What kind of influence was Seth Greenberg on you? Uh, he was he was my guy. <laughs> I was his guy. Um, he 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 taught me a lot. He taught me to be a young man. You know, carry yourself like a gentleman. Don't always be the little hooligan from San Bernardino. Um. And his family just took into me like I was their stepson or adopted son. His daughters loved me. I mean, when they was a baby, I was the one that they would run up to. And um, it's just, you know, he, he fit. I fit into his situation and vice versa. He was more of a role model slash father figure slash coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that makes sense. Yeah. Role model hard, but, I mean, coming up, from San Bernardino, you think, wow, look at what he got going on. He got a lot going on. I want a lot going on, <laughs> you know? So I changed my way, and I thank him for a lot. And he wasn't Seth Greenberg, who everybody knows right now at that point. No. It was early on. <laughs> way earlier. And Seth, that I know back early on in the career, is totally different than he is. Now, he's more calm. Right. I mean, boy, you, boy. That's why I said I was so used to a coach like Sloan. And mm-hmm. It really didn't bother me when I know he went on his rant and raise about what we need to do. It's because I heard it all before. And um, 
I'm one of those players. I hear you, but I don't hear you. But it never comes out the other ear. So when I hear you, it stays in there. Mm-hmm. And then I come out and do what I got to do. And it bounces around. Coming. Ping, pong, ping, pong, ping, ping. <laughs> what was the first interaction with Jerry Sloan? <sighs> Could you tell this guy might be one of the most toughest people that I've ever met? Just a, a very hardworking type of person. The first interaction I would say is when David Benoit got hurt and I started 48 games okay. and then I went right back to the bench after I made the rookie all-star and everything so I played pretty well mm-hmm. I came in and did my job and I sat down I didn't play no more and I'm sitting there like wow I just 45th pick 47th pick and I made the rookie all-star team I think that was the latest somebody ever made them because it just started. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I can't play? And in my mind, I'm like, what did I do wrong? And his mind is like, you didn't do nothing wrong. You just wasn't you're ready. Rookie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you were a rookie. rookie. And, you know, in my mind, I didn't believe it. I didn't for that. And I'm I'm mad at Sloan. like, man, I need to be playing. But I never said it out loud. I need to be playing. Man. I'm better than him. I'm better than him. But I'm third string. Once I'm one get hurt, I'm first string. So I'm like, ah. So in my mind, I'm thinking I'm getting done wrong when in reality he taught me patience. Mm-hmm. Your turn will come. And in my mind, I'm thinking my time is now. What better way to shine than right now? I mean, I'm coming off of a solid look, going to the first all-star. I'm, I'm super happy. And man, I'm playing with the big boys, the first rounders. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he taught me something. He taught me patience. He taught me to woosah. <laughs> woosah. And I'm like, man, I, I did not understand that for the longest. I mean, from the first to my third year, I'm sitting here like, I'm going through the same stuff. It's over and over, man. I want to play. I want to play. I got to the point one time where I was like, well, I'm ready to get traded. But I wasn't going nowhere. In his mind, you're not going nowhere. You're going to be here. You're going to be here, yeah. And I'm glad I didn't get traded. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I was here. I'm glad I had a great time. And, man, if, I, wouldn't want to, I, would, I wouldn't have wanted to go anywhere else but here. Mm-hmm. Being that once I learned, this is it. Right. Once you go to other places, you realize exactly what you have here in Utah. It's like starting over. But I'll say, like, towards the end of your career, it doesn't matter. But when you're in the beginning, in the mm-hmm. middle, in the height, you don't, you want to be in that one spot. Like, I see people getting traded year one, year two, year three, year four. I'm like, man, what's wrong with him? Mm-hmm. But he really taught me the morals of the game and the value of the game and play hard and leave it out on the floor. You mentioned defense, but you were also a shooter. I've seen the game winner against the Heat. I, I've seen you hit big shots. <laughs> like you, you were also a shooter, even at a time when they weren't necessarily shooting three-pointers. Well, my first year, I went one for 24 from the three-point line. Mm-hmm. So I can safely, honestly say that I was not a shooter. But I know... What I taught myself was everything that I couldn't do the year before, that's what I'm practicing on in the summertime. 
So I became a great shooter. And I became a better ball handler because those to me were my two weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So once that happened, I was like, sky's the limit. And everybody knew I was eight ball corner pocket. (laughs) (laughs) But man, I mean, it's nothing like teaching yourself if you really love something. Yeah. And what better teacher you have than yourself? I mean, it's always to have someone to push you or motivate you, but if you don't do it yourself, it's gonna be hard to do or become something. And a lot of guys in this league, it takes time to learn that. And some of them, they have to go to the G League or they have to go <laughs> go like different routes to get to that point where they realize it's on me right right now. And for me, I'm like, we it wasn't called the G League, it was D League. I'm like, yeah, I don't yeah. never go there. Mm-hmm. So I knew in my mind, like, okay, Russ, look at what you did. More for 24. I go get up 700 shots of every other day. And I worked on technique. And at the same time, I'm working on mid-range and everything else, but my main thing was, we don't have a shooter. Yeah. Not until Jeff Hornacek comes. Right. Jeff comes and it, it enhances me because now, well, they got to guard Jeff Hornacek. What? Uh-oh, we left Brian Russell. Oh, who got Russell? Who got Russell? Get, now you got Jeff and me. <laughs> so, but I'm glad I did work on it because Jeff brought out Brian. Because now I can get the shots because people are leaning more than doubling him. So, it, it, like I said, it worked out good. It worked out perfect. John and Jeff had to be the best shooting backcourt right up there all time. It's them, Steph Clay, you could put them in that same class. But those are the top of the top in terms of shooting backwards, right? The only thing I wish is that John shot the ball more. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to shoot it more. And I'm sitting there like, Every time he shoot the ball, it's pretty Goes automatic. Yeah. Like, please shoot more, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But he, he wasn't a big shooter. He's an assist man. But I really did like that. When we got Jeff Hornacek, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we going to move him out. And we moved it. We just didn't dig it up <laughs> to make it and take it with us. But I would put them up there as top five. But I don't have a specific order, specific order. But they up there. It's an amazing shooting backcourt. Makes your job easier, makes everybody's job easier. Now let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. always had a competition because we knew Stockton don't pass the ball to one of us. And if we're on the same side running, I hated it because all he going to say, go on through, boy. Go on. And I'm like, I hope Stock just see me. But 
if I can't get it, who else? Give it to him. I mean, he was he was gonna get it done. He was gonna get it done. And he's an incredible, I would say, friend, big brother. <laughs> big brother. I would call him my big brother. Did you ever work out with him? <laughs> Those are legendary. Almost yeah. killed me. Yeah, everybody <laughs> talks about how legendary this man was when it comes to working out because he's country strong. He is. And a lot of people don't understand about that country strength. That's that's something different. Yeah. I mean, man, I I've never been sore like I've ever been sore before in my life working out with him. What do you put you through? A, a whole. I'm thinking maybe one or two exercises. No, we did like 15 different things. I'm like, oh, hold on. But I couldn't show the salsa. I like, nah, I'm soft. Nah, I'm gonna do it. But I'm paying for it. He's testing you, right? Like he's he's trying to see if, see if I'm gonna quit. I'm not gonna quit. Yeah, I'm not, gonna never quit. quit. No, but boy, I was hurt. <laughs> and and I think maybe he'll look out the corner of his eye to see it. I think he's probably chuckling over there a little bit. But I know, man, the workouts with him inside, inside. And like the, the 98 season when we all stayed back, we all stayed back to train with him. Yep. We didn't need a personal trainer. We trained with Carl. So we had bike exercise, getting on the bike for hours. Then we'll go in the back of his house. He got a trail in the mountain when he stayed up in the avenues. I was like, wait a minute. I mean, we doing at least a five mile hike, maybe up up around down oh my goodness i mean he fed us afterwards but who, who wanted to eat i mean right. we so we heard i mean it was all 12 of us yeah. and to me that might have been the best workout of my career because look what it did we had the best record in the nba mm-hmm. so i'm sitting there like well i'll be damned without john in the first like yeah. What, games or so? Yeah. I think it was 18, but first 20 games, you don't have John. It's Howard Isley, Jacques Vaughn, Jeff filling in that role. Yep, and it was, they held it down for yeah. stock. And when he came back, it's like he didn't miss a beat. Mm-hmm. And, like I was telling them earlier, my one, two point guard is Magic and Stockton, and it's not in the order. Mm-hmm. It can be one Stockton, it can be one Magic, but they both won to me. I talked to Jeff, and... Mm-hmm. We have this discussion of which team was better because he thinks the 98 team was better than 97. And he says that only because that was our one mission was to get back to the finals. We got home court advantage in the finals. We went through the playoffs to get into it in 98. What do you think is the better team? <laughs> 98 by far. Okay. 97 was, uh, uh, oh my God. God, yeah, man. what is this? Yeah, yeah, we hear what the right John Stockton big shot, but 98, we were on a mission. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I said we stayed back and trained with Carl. We were really dedicated to basketball, mm-hmm. so we stayed. I mean, that year was we didn't lose. I mean, we was kicking some ass. <laughs> I mean, we was kicking some. I mean, we went on a 15 game winning yeah. streak. I mean, I think the most we ever lost was three games in a row. I think. I can't remember. And I think that was early, too. It was early. 
was early. Then we went on that run. I think we started out the season one and four or something like that. Mm-hmm. Then we went on like a 11, 12 game winning streak. I was like, holy cow. So it was just, and that team was incredible. And <laughs> that team was incredible. What did, not to go back to 97, but to go back to 97, what did the shot mean in the entirety of all the heartbreak that you guys had been through before? Seven games in Seattle. That first round against the Rockets in 95. There was so much built up to John hitting that shot, you inbounding it, that people don't understand that there was heartbreak along with those celebrations. It was, but... That that comes to the moment where I always say, I wish Stock shoot the ball more. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. it was no doubt because when I pass it in, I look, and once it hit the net, I immediately start jumping. I was like, oh, we going to the finals. What the hell just happened? I mean, it was, you should have seen Jerry Sloan. I know. Oh, man, if I he could just. He never does that. He never. You always see cool, calm Jerry. I mean, or pissed off Jerry, or pissed off Jerry, pissed pissed off Jerry. Yeah. But to see how happy, if I can just, if my eyes were cameras as I was running around, jumping around, recording everything, and I wish I could play it all back. Even our ball boys was jumping up, so I know that was probably the best moment in the history for the Jazz because oh, yeah. it got us over the hump to go to the finals. So, wow. <laughs> That's all I can say is wow. And you had a pretty good close of that game. Two threes yep. in the final three minutes. I, I say we all did a big part in getting there. Stockton just put the nail in the coffin. Tag had a huge first half. That's, probably his, best. First That's half. probably his best game. And he, he said that too. Yeah. He said that. And I'm like, man, look, it's just like we all played a part that yeah. got us there. Yeah. It's not one person that – even our bench, Jack Vaughn, mm-hmm. he helped us get there. And a lot of people won't say it, but yes, he did. Uh, Antoine Carr, Greg Foster, they all helped. And then in 98, oh boy, they all contributed a lot more than what they did in 97. That's what made that team so special. I truly believe that. Our bench. People would talk about the bench. They'd do the... The barking, the barking when, when Big, Big Dog, Dog would come in. <laughs> I was like, man. And to see Antoine, everybody talking about he at the end of his career. Well, I'm glad we got him because yeah. he was, man, automatic from that free throw line. And he played defense. Greg Foster. When Tag was in foul trouble, guess what? He came in and did a hell of a job. Hard to say, knee hurting. Shannon Anderson come right on in there and do his work. I get in foul trouble. Chris Morris. Chris, come right I was going on in. to bring up Chris Morris. Man, when I mean that bench was incredible, it allowed us to get rest. Mm-hmm. And you know, most benches don't do that. I mean, we had we had a whole starting five on the bench that could have started anywhere. And that's what made it so unique. Like we didn't drop off. Did not drop off. What did you see on that inbounds pass? Stockton wide open. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm like, come on, cut up, cut up, cut up. And they switched. Charles Barkley didn't want to go out on Stockton. Yeah. 
And I said, I know he finna shoot it. We, I mean, what's the, what's the, we, he made that said, we miss, we go home for game seven. Mm -hmm. My goodness. When he hit that, I was like, he wide open. How could you leave one of the best shooters in the game? Now, they don't know that though. We know he was wide open. You think they would have left me open like that? No. Horner said, no. No. I wouldn't even think they left Howard Eisen open like that. Mm -hmm. Or Chris Morris. But you leave John Stockton. <laughs> That's, that goes down in his history book. What was the celebration in that airplane coming back? Ooh-wee. I think the bigger celebration was when we got home and got landed. off the plane. Yeah. 50,000 people at the air. So you just think about dang near all of Utah had time to get here. Yep. And we get off that plane. And I'm like, it's 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my God. I like to tell my wife, what are you doing up? Oh, y'all just what? What you mean? Y'all want? We celebrating with y'all. I'm like, you pregnant. <laughs> I mean, uh, she pregnant with the twins, and my oldest daughter was, I'm like, my baby should have been in the bed. Nope. They was all there. I mean, the support we had, people coming all the way up from St. George. Mm -hmm. People were banging pots and pans, apparently, Man. in the street when he hit the shot. I can only imagine how this town was. Like I said, if somebody could have just videoed what was going on around town, man, because small city, mm -hmm. nobody really thought about Utah ever doing anything. Oh, they got called in Stockton, but that's nothing. Guess what? They got Brian, Jeff, and Tag, and a great bench. And we build ourselves up for that. And we built the city up for that. See, you have a lot of good stories. You should, oh, you should, share, you should share these. Ah, I'm sharing them with you. Yeah, well, <laughs> you should have your own show. You should have a podcast of your own. I'm thinking about it. Okay. I'm uh, in the talks. I think uh, it'll be it'll be good to talk about some good memories. If I do one, I would definitely love to have Osa Tag, Carl Stockton, and Hornacek like the starting five at a my little podcast. I think that'll be. Whew. I think people would listen to that. Some jazz fans would definitely listen. What? To that. I think we'd definitely get a couple million yeah, deals on that one. I think people <laughs> would be pretty interested in that because everybody want to hear about that. We will talk only about that season. We ain't got to talk about nothing else. But what are y'all thoughts? Because you guys were in it. You did it together. Yeah, did it together. That was that was like my family away from family. Mm -hmm. I considered them twelve players, eleven players. My brothers. Didn't matter what. If Ostertag was effing up out there, I was trying to cover for him. Mm -hmm. Like, don't yell at him slow. Don't yell at him slow. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure vice versa. If I was out there messing up, hold on, slow. Give him a chance. Let him work his way through it. We really protected each other. And You're pretty linked, you and Tack, because yeah. you, you both had an off-season where you signed deals yes. together, right? Almost together. Yeah, and, and you guys were... The next wave after John Carl is the way that Larry Miller. And, and, and I thought we were. Yeah. I thought we were. And we did a pretty doggone good job. Yeah. And um, you know how, but you know, it's a business. And you know, business, you got to make decisions for yourself and for your business. So it's no knock to nobody when things didn't go right. But 
But the moment we was here, yeah, priceless, priceless. Best years as a by pro? far. Yeah. Because I was here nine years. Mm-hmm. I can't go one year one place, two years one place, and one year one other place. That's not a time to develop nothing. Here I develop family, not friends, family. We develop family. Jazz family should be the name of the podcast. Jazz family. No, no. No, you'll, you'll come up with something. I'll come up with something real good. You'll come up with something better. But I'll come up with something. The Jazz family good. will listen to it. Oh, without a doubt. I'm yeah. going to have them tune in. Like, y'all better tune in. I got the hogs on here. I got <laughs> Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer. Almost Hall of Famers. <laughs> so you think that would be a great podcast. Oh, yeah. I think. People- and I mean, that's just to be the tip of the iceberg. And it gets better because I'll talk about the last dance on the next one. Ooh. <sighs> okay. All right. When you're promoting your podcast, we'll have you on yep. to talk about the last dance. I will. Because nobody never got my side of the story. I know. Everybody want to know. And I didn't go on there just for the simple fact. It's his story to tell. Okay. Now everybody want to hear. Okay. Well, what's your story? <laughs> Tune in to the Tune in to the, uh, the B Russ podcast. It might be a special ESPN mode. <laughs> B Russ, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh man, thanks for having me.